Have you ever experienced a rift in a church? Tensions, drama. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? Can we all agree on that? Nobody, nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. I mean, if somebody wants that, they're very demented. Uh, but think about the early church. Think about what we've just been looking at. And I, and I take you back. I hope you were here, or, or at least you kind of are aware of, of the drama that was going on in the early church. Uh, Acts chapter 15, you had these people that went to Antioch. They were Judaizers. They believed that the Gentile Christians would have to become circumcised and follow the law in order to be saved. And that was, that was a big deal, and it caused dissension. And, and it, it, they took that dissension, and they took it down to Jerusalem, and there was much debate, and there was a real danger of the church just kind of exploding. They had to, they had to arrive at a decision as a church. Is, is this the gospel? Is it right to say that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Or is it Christ plus? Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus the works of the law, uh, Christ plus my best efforts or whatever it might be, Christ plus I'm a patriotic American. Put anything there next to the plus sign. Is it that or is it the gospel? Is it salvation through the gospel alone? That's kind of the shorthand I'm using here uh, to speak of grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. It's the gospel. It is, it is the gospel. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says this is what the gospel is. And he, and he mentions the, the, uh, the death of Christ for sinners, his burial, his resurrection. And he says that's what we have to believe in. That's what we take our stand in. That's what's by which we are being saved. As the church met, they came to this unanimity, this, this decision that they realized, look, we are saved by grace through faith alone. Not just the Gentiles, like, well, you know, you know those Gentiles, we're not going to get them in any other way, but if you're Jewish, you can do a bunch of stuff plus Jesus. They're like, nope, Peter's like, that's not what's saving us. It's Jew and Gentile like, both are saved by faith with the working of grace through Christ alone. And that had to now be communicated back to Antioch. So that's where we're picking up the text. They've had this decision, this unanimous decision, decision a decision that's just surrounded with unity and they take that back to Antioch and here's here's where we get to the idea of the sermon today this this whole passage if you just kind of look through it the tone is one of unity the tone throughout all of the accomplishments of this and what follows is just surrounded by this one accord nature and so here's the idea the gospel ought to work a joyous Unity. If the gospel is the gospel, and if the gospel is being preached, and if the gospel is being believed upon and truly received, it should be almost like, now I'm not saying we make no effort for unity, but the gospel ought to be achieving a unity, working a unity. And sometimes when there's no unity, it's not because people aren't trying to have unity, it's because they've, they've lost the gospel or never had it in the first place. So that's what we're going to kind of look at today. There are five aspects of this gospel kind of unity, how it functions, that we sort of have to understand as believers. So first of all, this is a gospel treasured by the apostles. That kind of gospel that works unity is one that was treasured by the apostles. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church. So the whole church... They're all together, unified, right? 
to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Okay, so you got the apostles. You got the apostles in the early church. Last time we saw that the whole church wasn't just the apostles. It was the apostles, it was the elders, it was the people of the church. They all ended up speaking with one voice. They agreed with the gospel in a nutshell. They agreed. This is what salvation, what what works salvation. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace through faith. That is what we are to preach. We also saw that they were zealous to remove any stumbling blocks between the Gentiles in the gospel. And in today's text, they are cementing that, that unity because they treasure the gospel. They want them to understand this. They want to communicate back to Antioch to make sure, and you'll see this as we go along with the letter, they don't want there to be any doubt left about what it is that saves us. And so they send back a letter, and the letter is really uh, very precise and very, very plainly written. You can't really mistake what they're saying. And not only do they do that, but they're so jealous for the gospel, they treasure it so much that they send it with the people that, that, uh, that carry it. That's, uh, that's uh, Paul and Barnabas, of course, and it's also one named Judas, Barsabbas, and Silas. Do you see how they care about the, the, the um, purity of the gospel. Do you see how they, they, they do this in, in a way to make sure that the Gentiles are not troubled? They want them to understand these are men who treasured the purity of the gospel. They're not men, you know, the, the early church was not made up of a bunch of men trying to maintain some hierarchical power order. Like, how dare Antioch get out of, you know, out of line and we're gonna stamp this down. We're gonna twist them around and get them on the right path because doggone it, you know, we're the apostles and we say so. They are jealous for the gospel and they want them to know that because they treasure the gospel. Two things that I want to say real quickly about that. For one, I I want this to just be kind of a motto or a thought that you keep as you think about good theology. When we talk about the apostolic church, when, for instance, in the Confessions, we talk about one holy Catholic church. We're not talking about the Roman Catholic church. We're talking about that church throughout time that has believed in the apostolic gospel. Huh? The apostolic church isn't a particular form of the church where men you know, wield power and say thus and so, and because we said it, it has to be right. The apostolic church is the church which preaches the apostolic gospel. Okay? Boy, you got really quiet. Did you think I was going to go off on a limb? Okay. And I say that partly, too, because I have been in churches, and I'm just going way back in the day. I was raised in a denomination which was already going really liberal then, and now it's just kind of completely run off the rails. And uh, I, I was in a church once uh, that... Um, and you'd see this to various extents, but it became really dramatic in my college years. This, this church I was going to, they brought in a new pastor, and he literally did not believe that Christ was born of a virgin. He literally didn't believe in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And I, and I know this because I could hear it in what he wasn't saying from the pulpit, so I went and asked him, and he's like, yeah, 
I mean, that, that was the, the bottom line. And so I went to the leaders and I said, this guy shouldn't be a pa-. I'm like 19 and I'm going to the leadership. I'm going, this guy should not be our pastor. And they're like, shh, be quiet. What do you mean be quiet? Ah, oh, yeah, we don't want to rock the boat. We want to keep unity in the church. What church? How, how are you a church without the God? I wasn't smart enough to say these things at the time. I probably went, but um, how do you have a church without the gospel? How, how, what kind of unity do we have apart from the gospel? So the, the, the gospel was treasured by the apostles. That is a, a church which is apostolic, which is a true church, is a church which believes in and proclaims the gospel. Okay? Yeah? Simple, easy peasy. All right, secondly, the unity, the unity of the gospel can endure hard words. And that's probably hard for us to hear. Because again, our picture of unity is always that everybody's very pleasant. To stay that way, you have to remain very surfacey and hypocritical. So just keep that in mind. Um, we like that, don't we? Oh, there's just this air of unity because we're not going to say anything that offends. And don't get me wrong, I don't think we should go around, you know, trying to offend one another. We're supposed to be gentle with one another and kind and patient, even when we're rebuking people that are in the wrong, that we're supposed to have that right attitude as we bring it. But um, false teachers that are denying the gospel have to be resisted, and strongly so. Think about how you would have felt if you'd been one of the guys that was causing the disturbance. Let's think about them for a second. They'd gone up to Antioch on a mission. We're from Jerusalem. We're here to tell you how it is. And you can't be a Christian unless you first get circumcised and unless you keep the, the law of Moses. And yeah, that's what the church says. And uh, well, that wasn't what the church said. You talk about being disavowed. They were, they were completely, they, they had the legs cut right out from under under them it's like mission impossible except you have to probably remember the 60s show uh, mission impossible which like five of you will but uh, there was always this part in mission impossible where mr phelps uh would have the tape that he'd be listening to that would tell them uh their mission and then at the end of every single one of those it would say as always should you or any of your im force be caught or killed the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions this tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Yeah? How many remember that? Yeah? Oh, more than five. Okay. Well, anyway, you can probably watch that on reruns uh, if you really want to catch up with where we're at. But, I mean, that's kind of, you talk about, I always heard, it, it was always like when you heard that, you're like, wow, they really going to throw them under the bus, aren't they? Well, these guys are completely, they had to feel like they were thrown under the bus because look at what it says in the letter. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your mind, although we gave them no instruction. These guys are freelancing. And that's what they're saying. They're like, they didn't, yeah, they came from us. They, they, they left Jerusalem and they were part, and maybe they're still part of the church at that point, I don't know. But yeah, we didn't tell them to go tell you that. They were, they were completely operating outside of, of the boundaries of the, the, the church. The, apostol- the, the apostles were not afraid to call out troublemakers. And I think there's a fine line there where we have to be careful. I don't think we need to go around looking for every chance to name and shame every possible false teaching and heresy that, uh, that is in our community at large. 
Like, I know I don't agree with some, not, uh, you know, I'm sure there are churches in town here I could probably name them where I think I could go. I could sit in the pew on a Sunday and feel absolutely like I was being spiritually fed and things were, you know, right on the money. I know there's other churches in town where I'd be like, you know, <laughs> I don't agree with about 90% of what's going on here. I'm not going to go around looking for a fight over those things. I don't think that is what I'm called to do. I mean, that's not within my sphere of influence. But what I would say that I think is a takeaway for us is when it comes to our church, where, where we have responsibility, where elders have a responsibility to keep watch over, over this flock in this place, we have to love the gospel, we have to proclaim the gospel, we have to defend the gospel. And that can mean hard words. And, and people won't, you know, people won't melt just because strong words are spoken. That we have to value, value the gospel and, yes, be gracious in our conversation. But, but the unity that the gospel achieves is not one where we just paper over, paper over and gloss over real significant doctrinal problems. Again, it's very quiet in here. Have you never thought this th- these kind of things before? Or maybe you're just in such agreement with me that you're just taking it in. I don't know. Uh, thirdly, the gospel unites radically different kind of people. This is my favorite of the three points. But um, last time when we looked at the Jerusalem Council deal, I told you at that time that if you wanted to know Paul's view, you look at the book of Galatians. That happened within this same time frame. And I also mentioned that when Paul was writing to the Galatians, he mentioned about this incident where Peter kind of got wobbly on the gospel. He was with some Jewish believers, and he kind of pulled back a little bit, and Paul called him out. Paul took him down to Chinatown. It probably was not pretty. Paul's pretty clear in Galatians. Like, I told that guy off. I just told, I just told him, you know, I nipped it in the bud right there. Um, I tell you what, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, and I think the personality of Peter, who I think was, by and large, a humble guy. I think, I think he grew in humility as, as time went on. Were it not for that and his love of the gospel, I don't think Peter would have had any. I think these guys would have been at each other's throats like Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. I think that would have been a feud. You could just imagine Peter, like, who is this guy, Paul? Who does he think he, does he not? Was he there with Jesus for three years? Did he go that, through all that? Did he see Jesus when he, when he resurrected on the third day? I don't think so. Was he part of the inner three? Was he Jesus' right-hand man? I, who is this Johnny-come-lately telling me, Peter, that I'm not getting the gospel right? I say this because I'm a man, and I understand the male ego. Ladies, do you guys have egos? Not compared to us, I tell you why. Like, we get offended really easily, and if somebody gets, you know, if somebody takes us to task, we're not likely to want to hear that. But for the sake of the gospel, look at how these, how these people, so unlike one another, were made one. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing to me. Look what the letter says. It, and now, Peter didn't necessarily write this. I think James wrote it, but, uh, but Peter would have been in agreement with it. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord. That's two statements of unity just in that. Seemed good to us, having come to one accord. To choose men, send them to you with our beloved 
Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? And it was true, already already think of what Paul's gone through. He's going to go through a lot more and worse. But even at the very beginning, before the first missionary journey, he got that death threat where he had to be let down by the basket. You remember that? And then he gets out on the first missionary journey. They get to Perga at Pamphylia. John Mark leaves them. Paul is suffering from an illness, which we think may very well have been malaria. He has to trudge a couple hundred miles or so uphill inland. Have you ever gone to work sick? How many have ever had to push through and gone to work sick? Yeah? All right. How did that feel for eight hours? Pretty rough, right? <laughs> I got the sniffles. I'm not feeling good. Paul did that for like weeks. Like weeks of, of arduous travel. And then, and then he gets to Pisidian um, Antioch. He gets driven out of town at Iconium. They almost stone him at Lystra. They actually stone him and think they've succeeded at killing him. They drag his lifeless body out of town and drop him off there. Yes, Paul had suffered incredible things. He and Barnabas are called beloved. They're heralded as men who risk their lives. Now think about that. Think about the controversy with Paul and Peter back, back at Antioch. That ta- and, and, but the two of them, when it comes to the gospel, are a team. They're just, they're unified. How many times in this short passage do we read these words? Things like, they were in agreement. It seemed good to them all. They were of one accord. They spoke with one voice. None of these apostles... The, the, the more Jewish ones, I mean, Paul was certainly Jewish, but his, his ministry was significantly to the Gentiles. None of them wanted to put a burden on the Gentiles. None of them wanted to compromise the gospel. That gospel, grace, faith, Christ alone. They were not willing to compromise it. And look at the sweet unity that the gospel brings about through that. That's what real unity ought to look like in the church. Any other kind of unity that we're trying to force on some other basis, not going to work, but the gospel will do it. The Holy Spirit agrees with this gospel. I like to, rather like to think so. (laughs) We know so, don't we? I always hate it when people try to speak for uh, Christ or speak for the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, like somebody says, well, you know, I was just really feeling inspired. So I sat down at a typewriter and it was almost like he was using my my fingers. And so I just, I put it all in first persons. Jesus says this and Jesus says that. Jesus calls here, Jesus calls there. Um, Not thinking of any specific book, or or am I? Um, You don't have a right to do that. You don't speak for Jesus. This, this is, if you want to know what Jesus says, he says it in here. We don't speak in first person, I, Jesus is telling you this, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit for that matter is telling you this or that. The Holy Spirit has spoken too. He inspired this, this word. That's how we know what the Spirit says. But I'm not going on, out on a limb at all here to say that the Holy Spirit agrees with the gospel. Look what it says. It's talking about the dis- Get the backdrop again. They're talking about the gospel. They're talking about the fact that we are not saved by works of the law. And this is what they say. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. When James or Peter or whoever penned the letter gets to the decision, he says, this is what the Holy Spirit agrees to. 
along with the church. We're in agreement. It's, it seemed good. Do you know the, the uh, Hebrew word behind that, it seemed good, is a word that was used for decisions that political bodies arrived at. So like if the, if the Barton County Board of what Commissioners, whatever they're called, if, if they get together and they decide, yeah, we're going to let this thing happen on the southwest side of Great Bend out in the county, you know, whatever that was about. I haven't tracked it that closely. But if, if they come to a decision, which apparently they did, you would say in Greek, it seemed good to them. That would be the word you, you would actually use here. So it's saying, in effect, that the Holy Spirit cast his vote. I think it was the deciding vote. What do you say? Um, I think all the other votes didn't matter. But it's saying the Holy Spirit and the church, the apostles, the elders, the whole church, they agreed about what? By now you should know. The gospel. They agreed that the gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Holy Spirit supports the gospel. That might seem obvious. I mean, we should, if, if you'd asked that as a true or false question, I think we would have all gotten that right. But it's good to see it here in such plain language. The Holy Spirit is for the gospel. That must be our message. If someone comes along and preaches Christ in a way that adds something alongside of faith, as a requirement for salvation, that church is not a Holy Spirit-led church. Bottom line. And I'll just let you do with that whatever you might want to do with that. But, but if any person comes along, Paul said forcefully in Galatians, he said if an angel of God comes preaching a gospel other than that one, may he be accursed. We know that the Holy Spirit is pro-unity. That, that is also true. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So unity is important. Unity is, is precious. Unity is something, ironically, we should fight for unity, shouldn't we? But when you put it together with what's being said here in Acts chapter 15, it has to be a unity in the gospel. You can fight all day long for unity in a church that has abandoned the gospel, and I just say good luck. I, I've been in churches like that. I, when Debbie and I were in Germany, we were part of a larger fellowship, and uh, too many times they pushed unity to the expense of the gospel truth. And that, that is a no-win situation. We will not get to where the early church was. We will not get to the place where God wants us to be if we pursue unity apart from that, that core unity in the gospel. And if we see the gospel as it rightly is, I'm not saying everything will just flow naturally. There's still a need to, because to, the devil is still roaming and trying to sow dissension where he can. But man, if we agree on the gospel, we've got a lot made right there. Finally, the unity, the unity of the gospel should result in mutual joy. So at this point in the letter, we read the four requirements. They're not requirements for salvation, by the way. They didn't reach this point of deciding, yeah, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But, you know, we're going to add four things to it that you also have to do in order to be saved. That's not the, the, the essence of the decision. The decision is we're saved by grace through faith and that apart from the law, apart from circumcision, these things are not contributing to our salvation. However, however, in order not to put a stumbling block 
between the Jews and the Gentiles. We're going we're gonna to ask that the Gentiles conform on, on these four things. I'm not going to go back into that. We talked about it last time, except to say these were things which were taboo for the Jewish people. They did not, it was part of the ceremonial law that was, it was not something they could lightly pull away from by, you know, by coming together with even their brothers in Christ who were Gentiles, if those Gentiles did this. And that was eating things of blood, uh, animals that had been strangled rather than properly butchered and this kind of thing. All of these were, were taboos. And they were saying this is something that, that, that should happen. Now, what if the Gentiles had received that and said, what are these Jewish Christians up in Jerusalem trying to pull here, huh? I mean, we've been going along just fine on our own for a while up here in Antioch, and the Holy Spirit's blessed us, and we sent Paul and Barnabas, and look at what we accomplished there. And who are those old fogies up in Jerusalem trying to tell us to curtail our freedom that we can't, I like blood, so, whatever it is, you know, something, you know, I don't want to conform and have to eat a certain way when I'm around my Jewish brothers, no matter how offended they get. If they don't, if they want fed, and they come to my house, I'm giving them a BLT, I don't care. What if they'd done that? Couldn't they have done that? Isn't it in the realm of possibility that they could have gotten their nose out of joint and said that when they heard that letter? How dare they? But what do we, what do we read? What do we read there in verse 30? It says, And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. words. They loved it. They, they, didn't, they didn't throw up contra to it. They didn't say, no, no, no. They, they listened to it and they went, oh, this is, this is so loving. This is so gracious. This is so good. To, to hear that we are all in agreement on the gospel. You want us to do these things to not, okay, sure, sure. I, yeah, I didn't like blood sausage that much anyway or whatever it might be. But they, they were encouraged and they were strengthened by the letter. And Judas and Silas, who probably were very Jewish, very, very Jewish because they were from the home church, you know. They just received them and they took all of the encouragement they had to give them. And then in turn, in response, after they had spent some time, they, uh, they were sent off. That's, that's, of course, Silas and Judas. They were sent off in peace by the brothers. What does that mean, they were sent off in peace? It, it, it means that, that there was unity and love and peace and joy, and they just sent them off in, with that joyful, loving blessing. You guys are so awesome. We love you so much. And they sent them, sent them away with that. What you see is that unity flowed in both directions. It, it, that, that unity was, was there in Jerusalem. It flowed back to the Gentile Christians. There was this, this loving desire to unite within the church as Jews and Gentiles. I think about Psalm 133.1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Where the gospel is believed, that should be, I think, the picture that we have of the church. That's what ought to be accomplished, is, is that there should be that outward, visible, tangible clarity that we are together as one body through the gospel. 
Next time we take communion, I want you to think of this. And I'm, I'm going to remind myself of it too here in a couple of weeks. But when we take communion, I've said this many times, but the bread and the cup, they're up here preaching a sermon. A far better sermon than I can bring to you. They're declaring the body, the blood of the Lord for us. For us. That's wherein our salvation is. Not in taking communion, mind you, but in what those things represent. It, it, is, it is the death of Christ for sin that, that, that brings us forgiveness and salvation. And we declare that. But we don't ever take communion alone, do we? There's no possibility of taking communion alone. It's, it, 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 it isn't done. It's not a thing. It, it's, it, it's an abomination to even think about. Communion is taken together. So as we are declaring the gospel and receiving the message of the gospel... At the same time, we're looking at what the gospel has achieved. The community of faith, the body of the church. And, and, and we see it and we're reminded that that unity is to continue and that we're to work for that unity. And if we're not in fellowship with a brother or sister in the Lord, we need to go and make it right. We need to, we need to seek that out. That's what the gospel ought to work. And I would just say, if it's not working that, something's off. And I don't think the times have gotten that that severe or that cold that, that, that anything ought to be able to prevent that kind of gospel unity within the church that declares and believes that. What do you think? Do you believe that the gospel still can work this kind of unity? Okay. Amen. Thank you for saying that. And if you don't know the gospel, you've probably heard it three or four different ways as, as I've preached through this today. But if you've never understood the gospel, I just will declare it to you very briefly. It's easy for us to understand. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world for sinners. Died, he died on a cross. He was buried. He rose the third day. We are saved when turning from everything else, turning from our sin, our rebellion, our going, our, our idolatry, when we turn and look to Jesus Christ and believe upon him, we are saved. It, it, you don't have to make yourself ready by going and getting circumcised. You don't have to make yourself ready by going and fulfilling certain commandments or doing certain things. You come to him empty-handed. You believe upon Jesus and he saves you. And when he does that, may I say to you, you need the body. You need the body of believers where you can be baptized, where you can celebrate the Lord's table, where you can grow in your faith, and we would gladly be that church to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, work that unity in our midst. The, the unity that we see in Acts chapter 15 where grossly different kinds of people, Paul and Peter and Jew and Gentile, could be unified in joy across various kinds of disagreements, in love, even making sure that they didn't put um, obstacles, stumbling blocks in front of the other, that, that mutual love and, and, and caring because they were unified by that one true gospel. And we pray that you would do the same in our midst, Lord. And, and remind us and show us if there are things in our, in our lives where we are away from that truth, where we have grown calloused, where there may be um, problems between us and a brother or sister in the Lord. Help us to seek to, um, to make amends within, within those relationships 
And Lord, we, we want this all for the sake of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that his name might be adorned with all praise, with all worship. And we pray even today that that, that name, the only name under heaven given among men by, by which we must be saved, may be believed upon, and may salvation come to someone, we pray in his name. Amen.